Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to Whoa Records podcast number. I'm going to do that again because I'm too loud. You normally say yo, yo, yo. Apparently, you don't listen to these podcasts. <laughs> We're up to number twelve. I have never, we? I have never in my life listened to a podcast. I wouldn't even you know how totally to listen should. to a podcast. I don't know. She's how. never heard the words "pod" and "cast" used together before. I have, but I never simple. know what anyone's talking about. All you have to do is go to iTunes and then you search Whoa in the music store. And then that comes up, and then they'll be all there. And you can just download. And you subscribe. Yeah, and you and subscribe. Matt, and Matt didn't even know what one was. Matt had to ask me this morning. He goes, "Can I ask you a stupid question?" I was like, "What?" He goes, "What's a podcast?" It's uh, like a magazine from the future. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> or a radio show you can take with you wherever you want to go. Remember when I saw that magazine from the future? <laughs> you did. That was insane. I didn't even know what that magazine was about. I'm not even going to bother editing any of this out because it's all gold. So this will be the intro because rules are meant to be broken. So if you guys couldn't figure it out by now, uh, we are breaking new ground. And this is the first podcast I've done with not one but two guests. And this is one half of The Unlovables. Introduce yourselves. I'm Frank. I'm Hallie. All right. And what do you guys do in The Unlovables? Aren't we supposed to say, and we are The Unlovables together? (laughs) If you'd like to. Go. And. No, say, I'm Frank. I'm Frank. I'm Hallie. And and we we are are The the Unlovables. Unlovables. Good. I'm going to loop that over and over again. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to, I don't know, these questions are going to vary from band specific to person specific because that's the way I wrote them and I was lazy. So Hallie, talk about your performing background in general and how do you feel that that affects your performances on stage? Blah, everyone always asks me this question, well, then Johnny. Well, it should be easy because you should have an answer ready. Everyone wants to know about my glorious career in the theater. <laughs> what is this, Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> <laughs> I was an actress, blah, blah. Now, now I don't really act so much anymore. I don't know. I was in a bunch of shows. And what was the second part of the question? How do you How think that affects affect- you playing music live? I don't know. Well, everyone says I smile. When I'm playing, and right, it's not really punk rock to smile. Most people don't smile, but that's from years of, um, you know, being in like, uh, like dance uh, concerts and like my my and dance my dance my dance money. teacher being like, smile, girl, paid. smile. Not so punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how to perform without smiling, but I'm also having a good time, right? Mm-hmm. I don't understand why people can look so like either like apathetic or like mad because they have to look performing. cool. Because I'm happy to be up there, and I'm looking out there, and I'm seeing all my pals, and I don't know, it makes me smile. How else do I think that performing has affected my playing music? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the fact that I grew up, um, like, uh, singing in choruses and stuff probably is uh, a lot of why I insist on um, putting so many harmonies in our Well, don't answer that question. That question's coming later. I'm jumping ahead. Don't jump ahead. (laughs) Thank you. This has been Johnny Wetmore's you know podcast. Though, here's what I have to do, though, because every single time I do that, I was like, wait, wait, don't talk about that. Don't talk about it. I'm going to get to it later. And then I don't make any notes, and then we never talk about it later. And I feel like a jerk when I listen back to the podcast. I was like, wait, I know what happened, and we didn't talk about it. So uh, here is the unlovables with Everything's Overrated. I thought I wanted a job. So then I found me a job. Boy, so 
So I don't know how, Frank, what, what do you want? Like a specific question? Should we just move along to a band question? Should we stick with the Hallie questions? What are you guys feeling? Frank question. question. Frank. All right. I I gotta tell you, though, my Frank questions kind of suck. Don't don't give me a shitty question. Frank can turn it into magic. All right. Give the man a shitty question. He'll turn it around. Okay. Talk about your experiences surrounding September 11th. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, oh, that's that's a magic. Wow. That wasn't a shitty question. That was just like a way Yeah, I don't want to darken the podcast. All right. Like so we're not going to talk about September 11th Let's at all. Let's talk about happy. But, but now so people are right, confused, so, just explain. You did you did live and work down there. Yes? You worked. Yeah, I, I, I worked across the street from the incident mm-hmm. and uh, the disaster. And, you know, the building I worked in was destroyed. Um, it was, you know, the worst day in my life. And, um, then I joined the Unlovables and now it's 2007. So everything's I know it's a great dated now. question, so, well, but, but you have such a great story behind it. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not like, Hey, what did you get? What did you do on August 17th? No, year, 1983? I, mean, <laughs> I was laid off there, you know, looking for new creative ventures. And I guess that's when I started Picked up the pen and started writing. I did some food writing. Uh, put dropped a couple of hooks in the water about joining a band. And Dirt Bike Dan was the one that told me that Hallie was looking for bandmates. So that's kind of the reason I kind of I guess joined the Unlovables. Or see, I didn't know that at all, and I'm really glad I asked the question. All right, so it wasn't so bad. <laughs> see, it didn't at all work out. And now I'll just you know. Wake up crying again <laughs> tonight, but that's okay. I'll call you, Johnny. That's fine. The cell phone's always open for you. And speaking of Dirt Bike Annie, um, let's go to a Dirt Bike Annie song real quick, and it's Chapped and Cracked. These lips are chapped and kind of cracked and barely even kissable, but now I'm back on the right track, and I think it might be possible to send a wish upon a star, make it land in your backyard. But in the Bronx, anything is possible In the Bronx, I try so hard to get a hold of Your mom so she can tell me where you are The days are lost, my nights are shot And I'm barely even capable of getting off A single thought as I make myself uncomfortable 49 minutes to 12 At this wasted wishing well But in the Bronx, there might be a photograph In the Bronx, I pray to God there's a photograph So you might remember who the hell I am Or not
So we'll go to uh, okay. another horrible stock question where what do you guys describe as your influences for the unlovables? Boo! I, hey, I told you it was horrible. Boo! Boo I promise questions. the questions will get better as I pop my peas. Well, I'm all about staying true to the woo, so <laughs> that's my main influence is, you know, Ghostface and uh, Bobby Digital. I don't know about Hallie. <laughs> So what I always say when people ask me this question... No, uh-huh. I'll t- I can answer this question in a, in a new and creative way. Yeah. No, I can't. Um, right? I grew up mostly listening to New Wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I guess, was what I... I mean, that's just an influence just in the like an impossible to avoid sort of subconscious way because that was what I spent all my formative years listening to. Smith's Cure, Depeche Mode, OMD, all that stuff. Uh, but then um, when I moved to New York, then I met uh, Lou and Bruce from Melted Records, and those were the guys that really got me into pop punk. And really, just at the perfect time, there was so much good pop punk. You know, it was like early to mid '90s, uh, and so I would say, just in terms of. Uh, uh, Wanting to write songs, that was when I started trying to want to write songs because um, because those seemed like songs that I could write. It wasn't so intimidating. It wasn't that complicated. It wasn't uh, the lyrics weren't like some kind of cruddy poetry. Like my lyrics, everything's all mystical and everything's uh, mysterious and symbolic. And you know, it was just like very simple songs about simple shit and. Um, and that seemed like something that I could do. Not in a way that's like, oh, it was dumbed down and so I could do it. It just seemed like uh, something that I wanted to write. So, so Screeching Weasel, Queers, you know, Cretans, just a lot of the stuff that was out on Melted then, Cretans, Young Hasselhoffs. All, I, would, I would listen to all that stuff and I would be like, man, I, I think I could write a song like that. I had only just started playing bass, not seriously at all. I kept a bass in my house in the hopes that I would occasionally pick it up and play it as like a hobby and uh and then I thought yeah I could I could write something like that so you know just in terms of the stuff that I listen to and the kind of melodies that I that I naturally think of I I think that's where like my new wave stuff kicks in and but in terms of like subject matter and song structure and just like really at the root of it like my biggest inspiration definitely like mid-90s pop punk lookout and and fat stuff so here's what we're gonna do i'm gonna play the bombassets and yeah. then we're gonna come out of that and you're gonna talk more about the new york scene around that time and frank then you're gonna talk about the san francisco scene because you were living around there mm-hmm. at around the same time that's correct true. and then we got the bombassets which classify as the mid-90s. Just another magic moment. Yeah, that's... Yay! And then we also... They also classify as the San Francisco-ish area. So everyone's happy. You're so bossy, It all comes together. Well, welcome to the show, Allie. (laughs) If you would have listened to the other 11, you would know I'm always this bossy. All right. uh, That band that I said. Just another magic Time to pass and race and hard to 
right, so who wants to go first talking about the respective scenes as I cross the bombassets off my playlist? Go for it, Franklin. Um, well, you know, I'm a New Yorker by trade, but um, I kind of fell in love with the whole Lookout Records sound as a, as a, uh, as a teenager, let's just say, <laughs> to be creative with time. And uh, <laughs> I decided, you know, moving out to be closer to it was a good idea. So, you know, I made it a shot of living in San Francisco and going to Gilman Street, and I kind of fell in love with the place, but, you know, like most relationships, it had its ups and downs, and mm. there were more downs than ups, so, um, but, you know, during that year or so, I got to see the Bombassets and the Mr. T experience, and... It's very, very jealous. Jay Church <laughs> and Sicko, and all these, you know, silly bands that nobody cared about, except for me and, like, you know, the Pop Punk message board, um... <laughs> But to me, it was like a big deal to to meet these bands that I'd been like worshiping in my little uh, dorm room for all this time. So I mean, it was a it was kind of an exciting time for San Francisco, and I wasn't feeling jaded about it at all. But um, I don't know, New York just seemed like a more vibrant place for me, high mm-hmm. energy kind of thing. Um, so I came back here and and met a whole new group of people in in the uh, melted scene and. Egghead was like the first band that I became Ooh, friends with, Egghead. and you know, uh, Furious George, Egghead, uh, all those kind of guys um, hmm. became my new, you know, local. Actually, posse. it's kind of funny because for whatever reason, I it was one of the first like real New York pop punk shows that I ever went to, and uh, it was in 1998 in February, and we really didn't know anybody, and it was Furious George. It was the first like local Kung Fu Monkey show, Dirt Bike Annie. And for whatever reason, I, I still can picture you in the crowd because I'm not a tall man. You are a slightly <laughs> taller man. And I remember it was at... I am uh, a tall drink of water, aren't I? <laughs> you are. It was downstairs at Acme and they had like the bench across the, the side and I was standing on the bench and was like, whoa, look at all these great bands. And I was like, oh, look at that guy. And yeah. here we are almost 10 years later. If you'd only move, I could see the great bands. <laughs> No, I was on the side. <laughs> You're trying to imply that Johnny was in your way? That what? you couldn't no, see I past think, Johnny? I think that yeah. was... I, th- I thought that was supposed to be from my point of view. The- yeah. But anyway. Um, all right. So we'll, let's play some song by the Young Hasselhoffs that I haven't decided which. And then we'll oh, play Egghead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Susie was just 16 years old. Whoa, whoa. So 
That was Susie Was a Doozy by the Young Hasselhoffs and Data Entry by Egghead, one of my favorite by them. And um, not the way I was going to segue into Egghead or into Baltimore specifically, but let's talk about that Baltimore Fest that's coming up. And the last one that you guys played in last year, the same fest, I don't know why I played in, what's the matter with me? Uh, I thought that was your best set, so Egghead are playing that fest oh this year. Oh my god, you totally didn't let me talk about New York. All right, talk about New York, and then we'll talk about Baltimore. <laughs> I, I can come back happened. to New York. Do you want me to no, come no, back it doesn't matter. No, now I feel dumb. Let's talk about Baltimore. No, no. I no, hear, talk about New I York. I want to hear about New York in the good old days. <laughs> when did you come back? 97. Yeah, that was all right. Now, I moved to New York in 95, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. It was so awesome. It was like the greatest time. I mean, I'm sure if you talk to people that were... Here in the 70s, they're going to say it was better than the 80s. And people that moved here in the 80s are going to say it was better than the 90s. But mid-90s was a totally awesome time to move to New York. 95, 96, there were just so many great shows. 
Yeah. Like, amazing shows, amazing people, amazing scene. It was back when, it was right when the East Village was becoming kind of unaffordable, but you could still Mm -hmm. find a place to live. If you wanted to be down in that neighborhood where everything was happening, you could find an apartment. And I lived, you know, like, blocks from CBGB's and the Continental and Coney Island High and Brownies and... Every night there was something amazing going on every single night and for not a lot of money. And I, you know, moved to the city and I got a dumb, you know, waitressing job first. And then a couple months later started being a cocktail waitress at the Continental, mm-hmm. which is really bottom rung New York City <laughs> job. That's like really like the, the, the bottom of the pit. But I loved it. I just, it, even if it was crummy bands that was playing, I was so excited to be living in a, a big city finally and seeing all these bands come through town and uh and on my way home like that (laughs) on my way home like i could always go see other bands play i mean that was all i did every night it was awesome and there were so many good bands coming through town because everybody wanted to play coney island high which i feel like that doesn't happen so much anymore you'll look at bands tour schedules and they'll just skip new york all together because there's no good place to play to play anymore back then everybody wanted to play new york and you any band you wanted to see, they were going to come through town within mm-hmm. like six months. And Everybody the came through bands, t- New York, and they, they came through a lot. On high, they were going to be playing Tramps. Yeah, Damn. yeah, Tramps or Urban Plaza mm-hmm. or yeah, there were just a million good places to see shows. And some of those shows at Coney Island High were like the greatest shows I think I'll, I'll ever see in my life. You Agreed. know, it was uh, uh, constantly like. Now you're going to see a band, a, a bill with maybe like one or two bands that you really want to see. And then it would just be, you'd look at a bill and it'd be like six bands you were dying to see all playing yeah. back to back. Best show I've ever seen, saw, saw it there. <laughs> uh, Groovy Ghoulies, Smugglers, Cub, Pansy Division, MTX and the Queers Wait. for $6. What year was this? 1942? <laughs> $6. Um, it might have been 97, September 97. Okay. I probably got here like late. Maybe 97. I saw that too. Yeah, was that, was, that was an amazing show. And I feel like maybe the battle lines hadn't been like so clearly drawn. Like you, you would go to shows back then, you'd see the same people at a Bouncing Souls mm-hmm. show and yeah. at a queer show. And the same people at an Avail show. And then the next week you'd see them, you know, at a, you know, Kowalski show or something. And, uh, and like the it, Muffs and the Queers would makes sense where now like the right. muffs would play like a garagey more kind of scene and the queers would just be like a pop punk kind of show where you'd want to skip all the opening bands perhaps yeah <laughs> perhaps definitely. and there were like there was just locally there was a lot of exciting stuff going on you had egghead you had sea monkeys mm. and again like i would i feel like back then maybe i just had a little bit more of an open mind or because i had just gotten into punk ro- punk rock maybe i wasn't so like maybe i wasn't so picky but i think in a good way because i would Go out to see a Bouncing Souls of Veil show and Anti Flag and have an amazing, amazing time. And then the next night, go see Sea Monkeys and Kowalskis. And I don't know. There were there were a lot of local bands playing really good music back then, which was exciting, you know, because you'd come to see a, a tour, an exciting touring band coming in from the Bay Area and you knew that there was great stuff going on there. But then the opener would be, a, you know, a local band, maybe even from like, you know, Jersey or Long Island. There was like, you know, Plan A project and oh, yeah. and Doc Hopper and they're just you you've got the sense that there were like cool bands around here that were on these bills and it was just amazing. But I mean, really, like the day that that 
Coney Island High closed, it was really like the the axe just fell. It was mm. not like the scene. I, even even with all the exciting stuff that we have going on here now, that we're all really proud of and that we've all tried to build up, like there is just nothing going on that comes even close. Somebody needs to write to the a song that about was, that. but even when i wrote that song i didn't i didn't know that like the city basically in terms of punk rock has never recovered from that like Mm -hmm. it has never recovered from that club closing and like even when i wrote that song i was bummed out that the club closed but i didn't know it was like a death sentence for punk rock in new york city i mean it's been it's been a rough really like almost decades since then for finding decent places to play I mean, I don't know if you guys agree, but it also kind of seems that when the bigger bands now come through, they don't even really bother playing with any local bands. They just have these packaged bills, and that's really it. But back then, I mean, there would basically always be a local band playing. Yeah, it seems to be like almost like a contractual thing where they just want to play with their little packaged, you mm-hmm. know, touring band that's on their label, and it's it's just so all formulaic and doesn't give a little guy a break, you know. But we're trying to change all that, I think. we got, we got a couple of new clubs where... We're putting together good bills, I think, and if we can make it a more regular thing, I think we can, uh, you know, set things right for the future. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a New York band now, Latterman, and the song is Mumbled Words and Ridiculous Faces. Then we're going to go back to my original, uh, what's it called, segue, and we're going to go Darlington, Baltimore, and then when we come back, we'll talk about Baltimore. Everyone happy? (laughs) Yes. Yes.
eyes are blacking out I pulled her hair and she pulled mine I bit her neck and she bit mine Joke replaced better needs and mine Danny Babbitt sings cooler back up Sarah 68 me, Sarah suffocate me 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 I put her hands around my neck She put my hands around her neck Now I'm seeing stars blacking out She's seeing stars blacking out I pulled her hair and she pulled mine I bit her neck and she bit mine Joe Queer plays better leads than mine Danny Babbitt sings cooler back up Sarah 68 me, Sarah suffocate me Sarah 68 me, Sarah suffocate me Sarah 68 me, Sarah suffocate me So now talk to me about Baltimore. Anyone? Um, Anyone? Baltimore. Bueller? Uh, Bueller? You know, it's become this epicenter of pop punk summer fun. Um, we had a great show there last year, and I think the lineup's even more amazing this year. I actually year. really still think that was the best I've ever seen you guys, and I've seen you guys, I'd say, once or twice. Well, that was at least, you know, I mean, it was a good set, but I think it was just the, the enthusiasm of the audience, really, mm. you know, it's easy to play off that kind of thing. Everyone was just so excited and singing along, and it was just really refreshing, and I can't wait for this year's fest. Yeah. All right, hard-hitting question time. You guys, this is going to be in quotes, by the way. Do you guys think it's harder to be a, quote, girl band in a mainly male-populated subculture? I do. I don't think it's not. It's not as bad as it could be, though. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm still. In fact, when my mom came to uh, to our record release, you know, two weeks ago, my mom and also people from work who just generally aren't aren't into pop pop punk or punk rock in general, like they all made comments about how many dudes were in the crowd singing along to all our songs that they found that surprising. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely. A degree to which, like, we all can see how it could be a lot worse. Because we do have a lot of male fans, and there are a lot of bands with all guys that we play with all the time who've been amazing supporters of ours. And But I, I, do, I do think it's... I do think it can be a drag sometimes. There's... And I hate to even say it, because I hate to be that girl that's like, 
complaining about sexism or whatever. Like in general, I just am not. I don't really Wait, get. Do I don't really get riled up about like politics like that. Or I don't. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for something. To, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Some people like they want to see sexism or racism or this or that in everything, and I, I'm just not like that. But I, I do. I do feel it a little bit here. I do feel that there's just certain people that are never going to like us because. It, because there's a girl singer, it's just mm-hmm. not not ever going to be their thing, which is fine. Whatever, that's fine. People, you know, everybody has their thing. Some people are never going to like a band that has you know violin, or some people are never going to like mm. a band. You know, I mean, there's people definitely have their taste, but it's just it's like it's it's more than that somehow. Because I definitely get the sense, like even in pop punk, which I wouldn't really expect it, there's definitely to me a little bit of a boys club that happens. Um, hmm. Which, you know, we've done, we have so many great fans, like, that like us because we're a girl band. So I guess it really works both ways. There, are, you know, you, you know who I'm talking about. There are, like, those certain people that just they really love fun. girl bands that they're going to, really, almost any girl band that comes out, or I don't mean girl band, but, like, girl-fronted band, they're going to like. So I think there's fans that we have automatically or a, a, a crowd that we tap into automatically because there's female vocals. But I think there's also a population that are just not ever going to be open-minded to it. And I get particularly just sort of disappointed when people compare us to other bands because they'll compare us to bands that I just don't think we sound anything like except mm-hmm. for the fact that there's a girl singer. Like I feel pe- like people are grasping at straws to come up with other bands that are fronted by girls that we sound like, as opposed to making sort of more obvious comparisons to you guys bands get that the we musically. Dance hall crashers all the we time. We get dance hall crashers all the time, which to me is just I've preposterous. Never even heard of them. Like we just yeah. don't. Are I not mean, a ska band. Okay, there's like some girl harmonies, but then I don't know. You might as well say that we sound like the Indigo Girls or like I don't know the the Roach Sisters. I mean, nobody comes Four up with those. I always get. <laughs> <Four> <laughs> non-blondes. You know, like I just don't. Whatever. It, you know, maybe it's just my music, and I don't I don't have an objective perspective. But I do. I'm not hearing dancehall crashers. I'm really not. And I also am not hearing Discount. And those are both like. A discount's a great band. Whatever, that's fine. I just don't see how we sound like them. I, I don't, don't hear, hear it. I think there are probably 50 bands that are fronted by dudes that we sound more like than we sound like Discount. And that that's just me. So I don't. I just I get disappointed. I sort of feel like, oh, come on, people. Like, get with it. Like, that's, it's just shouldn't... I don't think it should, should define what we do. And that, and that's yeah, all do. I'll say about it cuz I know it's what it it is what it is. It's there are ways in which it works to our advantage and ways it works against us. It's, it's both not a blessing a and a curse. Sure. <laughs> but you know people often like comment to me like people that know I'm in a band but don't know what band I'm in like coworkers mm-hmm. or something and they'll like they'll look up the MySpace and they'll be like Oh, I didn't know you were in like a girl band. Like, you know, like I didn't know your grandfather was a Nazi or something. You know, so I don't know. I, I think, I think it's more of a positive thing. But you know, it's fun. I have a good time. Told you it was a hard hitting question. (laughs) And um, let's play "Full of Fancy." Sounds like a plan. And then the queers with "I'm a Fool."
So I started off with those easy, you know, softball underhand pitch questions that you didn't like. So here's another hard-hitting question back-to-back so people actually listen. Uh, how does the band cope with not having a steady lineup? Mm. A hush falls over the crowd. Go for it, Frank. Uh, I mean, it's frustrating at times because, you know, the whole reason that I'm in a band is I, I wanted to, like, play shows anytime someone asks us to be able to go on tour in other countries and stuff. And it always becomes a challenge because you got to figure out, all right, who's going to be able to tour? Who has a conflict with work or their other bands or whatever? But, I mean, we've made it work somehow or another for the last four or five years. So, you know, whatever. We fly people in go to Penn Station and pick up homeless dudes and teach them guitar, <laughs> whatever we can do. I've stopped caring about it so much. Like, it was, it was a, you know, it was a drag at first because you have this idea when you start a band of like, oh, I'm going to have this band and we're going to like eat, sleep and breathe the band and everyone's going to be so into it and it's going to be like a family and... I think, you know, obviously there are a lot of bands that have that dynamic, and just for whatever reason, this has never been one of them. (laughs) Um, Like, it used to bum me out, and I've gotten to the point where it really just, I don't, it just doesn't bother me anymore. Like, we're just, we get a lot of cool opportunities, we're going to continue to get them, we say no to them, and we worry about who the hell's going to be there after. Like, we're not, I, I just, it used to be I wouldn't plan a tour, or I wouldn't agree to play a show because I'd be like, oh man, well, you know, I'm not really quite sure who's going to play lead guitar at that. We shouldn't say yes to it. And now I'm just like, fuck it. I say yes. And someone will, someone will play it with us. God damn it. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody will play it with us. And I think it's actually been kind of cool. It's, it's been really fun. Like, you know, we took Zach Rivethead on this last tour with us. Graphim Steinways has played with us a bunch. It's been really fun to have different people's, just like the douchiest word ever, but it's been fun to have different people's energies <laughs> on stage with us. But you know what I mean? Like people just bring like a new thing to it. And to it us, still I feels think it's like a family to me. It totally know. does because these, it's almost like we have like, it, I feel like the whole country is our band now. I feel like we can, we have all these good friends. There's all these foster children all, we've <laughs> taken in. It's a big, beautiful just thing. Just people are like, people are. I get the sense that people are willing to go out of their way and bend over backwards to make sure that the unlovables can still do shit. And if that means that, you know, like that Zach is going to take off time from his job and come out on the road with us so that we can tour. That's amazing to me that somebody's willing to do that. And we get this great sense that we have like a special guest star on stage with us. And, you know, yeah, eventually do I want to find uh, you know, like someone to permanently play lead guitar for us, that would be awesome. That would be great. Am I willing to put another damn ad on Craigslist and go through the freaking freak show that's going to walk through the door <laughs> when I do that? I'm not willing. I'm just not willing anymore. Like, we, we've tried a lot to find that perfect fourth member who's going to make our lives easier. And it, uh, I've stopped believing that that person exists. So if we have to have rotating door band, then that's what we do. Like we're making that work and like we're still, still able to do the cool things we want to do. So it's worked out actually pretty well, I think. I'm going to issue a challenge to all six of my listeners and start <laughs> practicing guitar and submit your, your demo tape playing along with the Unlovables and then you can maybe be in the band. Yeah, you're, you're the new foster nice. child. Just don't burn down the house. <laughs> We'll go back-to-back with Lifetime and the Four Deadly Questions, and then we'll talk a little bit about Lifetime when we come back. Living at all, living at the world. 
so this is a the fast fact question or portion of the show. Uh, Hallie, are you aware that you have a Oracle of Bacon number of three? What the hell does that mean? That means you are three steps away from being connected to Kevin Bacon. Oh. How did you find this out? Where are you getting your info? Just the the CIA. Product or something. How do I connect to Bacon? You connect to Bacon because you are in I'll Come Running. And with Linda Halaska, who's also in I'll Come Running... And she's in Neurotica. No, I'm in Neurotica. No, you're. I lied. I lied. I lied. You're in Neurotica with Linda Halaska, who's in I'm with Lucy with Julie Gonzalo, who's in Saving Angela with Kevin Bacon. Nice. And it's um, also Hallie's secret dream to open up for the Bacon Brothers someday. (laughs) (laughs) I actually own that TV. I have seen the Bacon Brothers. They played basically across the street from my house. And they took 10 of my American dollars, and I would like them back. (laughs) Did you know that I'm one degree from Joy Ramone, who was also in Neurotica? I did not know that. It's true. So talk to me about I'll Come Running, because my notes are so bad, everything's connected. I'll Come Running is a movie that I shot last summer that could either be awesome or not awesome. Because, right, you never really know. Uh I love the script. We shot it. I love the cast. But, you know, movies are like... Movies are... It all happens in in the editing room, you know. So we'll see. It should be out. It should be out and doing festivals this year. I had an amazing time with it. Um, Melanie Diaz was like the sort of star that they got to be in it. She was in uh, Lords of Dogtown and Re- Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, and uh, it was fun. It was incredibly fun. It made me remember that I actually like acting and that I should be doing that more so it was cool and I got to go down to Austin to film it and uh you know everyone's like oh Austin Austin's amazing Austin's amazing and I'd been down there for South by Southwest which is a whole other thing I think when you go down for South by Southwest you're experiencing South by Southwest I don't Mm -hmm. think you're really experiencing Austin so it was really cool to go down there uh at a time of year when it wasn't all about South by and uh it was like 105 degrees the entire time I was there. I was sweating my ass off, and I didn't even care. It was so fun. It like really reminded me of a lot of the things that I used to love about New York, right? Talking about like mid-90s New York City. Like It really reminded me of a lot of the things that I loved about New York back in the day, just uh, from like little weird-ass coffee shops, most of which have like closed down in New York, to just, I don't know, the characters, a lot of characters in Austin. And I feel like you used to see more of that in New York. There would be like, you know what I'm talking about, right? There'd mm-hmm. just be like those funny, crazy people hanging out on the corner that you would always see. And somehow I feel like New York has like systematically like weeded itself of a lot of those people, right? You don't see the crazy animal activist lady mm. on, you know, St. Mark's Place. And you don't see. Yeah, I miss her. I just was a little... She was and a there was the she book was lady intense. who was over there, too, would always sell her books. Yeah. Do you guys remember the, the lady that I would call the hamster lady who used to have, like, the the heads of hamster pins on the subway no. all along her jacket? Wow. Yeah. She was always playing with hamsters. It was weird. 
That's impressive. Yeah. But like down in Austin, they have this like transgendered guy that runs for mayor every time there's like a mayoral That's election. Awesome. And not only does he run, but he gets like a fair amount of votes. And then you'll see him just walking down like one of the main streets in Austin in like a fluorescent pink thong. Like yes. and some cowboy boots. I mean that it, there's something about Austin that's like really it's 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 been gentrified certainly more than it than it was but it's um, and their motto there if you go down there they have all these posters and this whole big campaign going on that's keep Austin weird and uh, and like <laughs> they mean it right they don't want it to just oh god I'm getting on my soapbox again but Austin is cool they're trying to keep the character there they're trying not to let it all become condos and Starbucks and blah 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 and that's that that's the end of my, my political uh, dissertation Austin's awesome so what do you guys want to hear I'm in the mood for some Jay Riotard. Okay. It was my favorite album of the year last year. And how? Um, Johnny, I'm going to leave it up to you. You're the boss here. I'm going to play Pat Dull and the Media Whores Yeah, Yeah, Yeah after Jay Riotard and My Shadow.
That sounds like cream soda, soda to me. Anyway, um, so I'm I'm gonna do my due diligence and follow up from what I said before when I stopped you like an hour ago, and walk me through how you typically write a song or come up with a melody line, and how do you capture that when you're in an area without a guitar? Oh right, this is a loaded question because you already know the answer. What are you talking about? I, uh, I, for some reason, always get my good song ideas when I'm walking down the street. Always, always, always. Which, luckily, as a New Yorker, you spend a lot of time walking down the street. <laughs> um, so, right, I, I also don't trust myself to remember anything, because I, I don't, from, like, you know, where I'm supposed to be tomorrow to, uh, you know, very basic things. I have a pretty bad memory, so I always, uh, I call myself... I call myself when I leave uh, song ideas on my voicemail, which is always pretty funny because, again, in New York, like, you're always walking in, like, very close, like, what is that? Proximity. Proximity to other New Yorkers. And I must look like a crazy person, but whatever. I, I'm, I'm always just walking down, you know, 14th Street with my phone up to me, like, singing into, singing into my phone so that I don't forget. And I always, I'm always glad that I did because, uh, you know... You don't always sit down to write a song and have the inspiration that you want. You mm-hmm. know, I can't like, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this, like particularly like, I feel like I talk with Mikey a lot about songwriting and songwriting being something that's like tricky, that you need a certain amount of, of inspiration to to sit down and write something that you're going to be proud of. And so it's great. Like when I actually do have the time to then finally sit down you know, that may not be the exact moment that I have a good idea. And so for me to be able to then check my voicemail and I have sort of a collection of little ideas or little inspirations that I've had throughout the week and, um, you know, I can come back to them when I have more time. And some of them I listen to and I'm like, why did I think this was cool? This isn't cool. (laughs) And some of them I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm like, I'm glad I recorded that when I thought of it because I probably wouldn't have thought of it again. And now, you know, I wrote Counting Sheep coming home from, you know, a show one night. If I hadn't sort of recorded that idea in that moment, then who knows if that song would have ever existed. And it does exist, and I'm proud of it, and people like it. And so, cool. Like, cool that I can go back to that moment when I actually made that effort of of making myself remember it, you know? Well, I think you hit upon something that's really great, just a way to capture that, because 
I mean, I've had conversations with other people, in particular Adam from Dirt Bike Annie and the Impulse, and I, we had a long conversation about how he would try to sit down. There was a stretch of time where he would just try to sit down and write songs. That's what he was going to do, and he found it incredibly frustrating because yeah. how do you force creativity? And he ended up not doing that after a short block of time of trying. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can. Like with Samantha, I, m- my best friend's birthday was coming up, and I, I wanted to write her a song. I made up my mind that I wanted to write her a song. So I did. I sat down in my apartment, and I wrote that song, and it turned out fine. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of it. It's a good song. But, like, it's not always going to be that way. You know, you can't always give yourself an, an assignment and, and assume that something then creative and, and uh, like, I don't know, real is going to come out of that. So... Yeah, better to take advantage of those mm. little special moments of, you know, walking around and suddenly a, pop, a song pops into your head. We're in the middle of the night. I'll be sleeping. I'll have to wake up and grab my phone in the middle of the night because I don't want to <laughs> lose that idea that I just had in my dream or whatever. You call me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> call and sing to you over yeah. the phone. You're going to be able to you remember. You do sing like little song parodies of my name sometimes <laughs> over the phone. <laughs> I do. I leave. I leave Frank voicemails that he could most assuredly blackmail me with after the fact if he wanted to. (laughs) It's gonna happen someday. We'll put them at the end. (laughs) What do you guys want to hear, or do you want to follow up with another question right away? I'd like to hear something. What would you you like to hear? Um, maybe something by the Vicious. Okay. Um, I I saw them in a in a loft space in in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago, and they were amazing. And they're from Sweden. And they're like a garage version of the hives or something. I thought the hives were garage. <laughs> uh, like a lower fi. And if you can get any lower. Then we'll play the bananas. That work? Yeah. Sweet.
So let's talk Japan. Hmm. This is your thing, Frank. Frank. Oh, I thought there was a specific question. I'm no, sorry. no. The, my question says Japan. Period. Which well, by period, wouldn't really be a question. We love Japan. I mean, it's one of those places where people are still enthusiastic about, you know, maybe pop punk bands and hearing new kinds of music and. Maybe a show will be more mixed up with different genres, and, and we're just dying to get over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been one of our, our, our missions for the last few years, and hopefully they'll finally come to fruition this year. Yeah. And both records are available over there, so yeah, both awesome. both records came out over there, and they've, you know, definitely the, or I guess the, the, the Heart Sickle's about to come out over there. I don't think it's been officially right. released I yet. I think but it's out, maybe. I don't know. Chris I saw Boyfriend. it on a, a website today there for sale, so. Oh, Yeah. Well, Crush Boyfriend, Heartbreak did well over there, and I don't know, it's just one you, you always hear about, you know, bands going over to Japan and just having an amazing time. Frank had an opportunity to go over there with the queers. And just, the Mr. T experience. And it was the Mr. Exciting. T experience, yeah. And I fell in love with the place then, and I've always wanted to go back. And... I, like, turned down an opportunity to go there with uh, when I was doing Stomp. They offered to send me over there for a month and perform, and... I turned it down because we were real busy with the band at the time. And uh, a couple months later, I was like, what did I do? Why didn't I just say fuck the unlovables and go to Japan? Um, and like the only at the time, the only thing I could do to make myself feel better was just to be like, you know what? Someday I'll get over with, there with the unlovables and that'll be way more fun. It'll be way more fun to go on my own terms with my own band, doing my own shit and not like performing somebody else's show where I'm banging on garbage, you know, like (laughs) it'll be way cooler to go over there with my band. So yeah, it's been like a, it's been a a goal of ours for a long time and we're really hoping that 07 is going to be the year. Let us play uh, Teen Generate and then we will play Scared of Chaka and we'll do some wrapping up. Wow.
So that wasn't so bad on Lovables, was it? <laughs> it was pretty painless. It was painless. You, you helped us through it. Well, you held our beer. hand. <laughs> You're very welcome for the root beer. Frank's always a lot more relaxed once he's had a root beer. Yeah. I Maybe a root beer pop. float. <laughs> but I, figured, I thought we really balanced these softball questions with some hard-hitting inside chin music. Oh, is that an inside joke? The softball questions? Because yes, we're coming a, off of pop-punk I'm softball. I'm still a little sore, but sure. Um... <laughs> As always, questions, comments, concerns, wo at gmail.com and wo-records.com. Check out theunlovables.com and uh, myspace.com slash theunlovables. Uh, closing thoughts? You know. Any questions thanks, you guys want to ask it's, yourselves? It's been a treat. <laughs> See you next year. <laughs> it's been a treat. Do you have a question I want to Have a good summer. I, no, I know everything about Frank yeah. that I want to know. The rest is deep, dark secrets. Yeah, I don't, we learn I I don't bit by know. bit. She's peeling back the onion <laughs> one day at a time. And there are tears involved. Yes. Uh, uh, closing thoughts. Fucking pop punk, man. Finally back. Good bands. Good music. Good friends. New York's kicking again. It's pretty exciting. And Johnny, obviously, has been a huge part of that. So Lies. Lies. So, high fives to whoa. High fives to ourselves. I'm high fiving yeah. Frank right now. Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> one man can do, another can do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to close it out with... See, this was one of my questions, but it wasn't that good of a question. So uh, here is a band that one of these two people were in, and my favorite song by said band, but that person did not play on said song. And the song is In My Dreams, and the band is The Hissy Fits. Wouldn't it be nice?